I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. We find ourselves this morning in 1 Peter chapter number 2. I'll begin reading at verse number 1. 1 Peter 2 and verse number 1. Hear the word of the Lord together with me. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed." Let's pray. Father, as we come before you once again this morning, we come before thee, God, as needy people. God, we are wretched, vile sinners that thou hast plucked up from the mire and placed upon the solid rock. And God, we thank you for the glorious standing that we now enjoy in Christ. And how, God, we pray that you would take thy word and plant it deep within our hearts today. And that, God, that you'd give that unction, that function of the Holy Spirit that God, the preaching of the Word of God would be empowered by the Spirit. But also, God, the ears of those that are listening would be empowered by the Spirit to hear. Oh, God, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to understand and be responsive to Thy Word. And God, even afterward as we consider the Word of God, that You would bless the time around the communion table as we consider our great and glorious high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. So God, I pray that you would use me, fill me, empower me, and help me, Lord God, today I pray to minister the Word of God, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to draw your attention, particularly this morning, to the first part of the phrase that is there contained in verse number 7. Unto him, unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. And I want to minister this morning on the preciousness of Jesus Christ. What is the most precious thing to you today? Think about it. What is the most valuable thing that you possess today? Many people would say, well, it's my inheritance that I have. You know, just this past week I had to go speak to the financial advisor about how I was going to deal with my inheritance. This is the most valuable and precious thing to me. 
Others would say, well, it's my home. This is the most precious thing to me. Heart and home, most precious thing. Others would say, well, my family is my most precious thing to me. Someone might say it's a family heirloom. Maybe you have something that has passed through your family for many generations, and that is the most precious thing to you. Because you know that one day you will give it to one of your children. Maybe it's a vehicle that you have that's sitting in the garage that you've been working on for many, many years, and that is the most precious possession that you have. Maybe it's your boat that you love to go on the lake and go fishing on or enjoy out on the lake. But is that really the most precious thing? Peter said in our text, Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. Peter in his two epistles that he wrote to us uses this word precious five times. In chapter 1 in verse 7, he says that the trial of your faith is more precious than gold. And chapter 1 in verse 19, he says that we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Here in our text in chapter 2 in verse 7, he speaks about Christ being our precious cornerstone. In 2 Peter chapter 1 in verse 1, he speaks about precious faith. And then chapter 1 of verse 4 of 2 Peter, he speaks about the precious promises that you and I have so Peter believes very strongly in the preciousness of Christ. It is significant that he speaks this way because Peter in 1 Peter is writing to believers who have been scattered due to strong religious persecution. And Peter is likely writing this epistle, his first epistle here, just before or just after the great fire of Rome in A.D. 64. And this great fire that took place in Rome burned most of the city of Rome down to the ground. Many speculate on how this fire took place. Was it Nero that caused the fire because he wanted to uh, enlarge his kingdom? But anyways, one way or the other, this fire did take place. And Nero and the Romans blamed this fire upon the Christians, which increased the persecution the Christians were ultimately blamed for this fire, and the fire of persecution greatly increased among them. We see this scattered throughout this epistle in 1 Peter 1, 6, chapter 2, verse 12, chapter 2, verse 19 through 21, chapter 3, verse 9, chapter 3, verse 13 through 18, chapter 4, 1. Uh, chapter 4, 12 through 16, and verse 19, he stresses again and again that you are going through manifold temptations and trials. And he writes to them in the midst of great affliction. And the purpose of this letter was to teach them how to live triumphantly in the midst of great hostility. And one of the ways that Peter does this, teaching them to live triumphantly in the midst of great hostility, is by stressing the preciousness of Christ. My friend, you can endure any trial that comes your way, any sorrow that comes your way, any difficulty, any upheaval in our land, you can handle by focusing on the preciousness of Jesus Christ. Unto you, therefore, which believe, He is precious. You are, aim, you are able to endure much when you consider the preciousness of Christ. I wonder this morning, 
Maybe you have come and gathered in this place, and in your heart you are in great adversity. You are in great hostility. You are troubled much in your heart and in your mind. It might not reflect outwardly, but inside you feel it. I want to encourage you, child of God, to focus and reflect upon the preciousness of Christ. This is what Peter did. Here he is writing to believers in the midst of great affliction and trial, and he says, He is precious. So consider today with me the preciousness of Christ. We will notice three things from our text this morning. We'll, number one, notice the reason He is precious. Number two, the results from believing that He is precious. And number three, the reality that He is precious. The reason, the results, and the reality. First of all, notice with me the reason He is precious. He says, unto you, therefore which believe, He is precious. Now the question must be asked, why is He precious? He says, unto you, therefore, therefore points us back to something that Peter has already said. And as you have sat in church no doubt long enough, and you've heard it preached long enough, when you see a therefore in the Bible, you ask yourself, what is it there for? And you go back and you consider what the writer has said in order to get the context. So, why is Jesus precious? The reason He is precious unto you, therefore, He is precious. This therefore points us backward to why Christ is precious. Number one, under the reason He is precious, I want you to consider He is precious because He is our cornerstone. Look with me at verse number 4. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. To whom coming as unto a living stone, here these believers had come to Him for salvation, while the mass of mankind rejected Him. Here it says, you have come to this living stone. And today, if you are in Christ, you have come to Christ as the foundation, the living stone, the cornerstone. And I ask you this morning, just like these believers had come to that cornerstone, have you come to that cornerstone? Have you found Christ to be your foundation? Is your faith resting in this sure foundation? As it concerns Christ, our cornerstone, I want you to notice that this cornerstone was laid by God. Look with me in verse 6. Wherefore it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious. Jesus is precious because He's our cornerstone. And it is this cornerstone that has been laid by God. Notice this is a quotation from Isaiah 28 and verse 16. He says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. This is referring to God. God is laying Christ as the chief cornerstone, the chosen and precious one. God lays the foundation of Zion. He lays the foundation of His church. John Calvin said this, We learn that there is no building up of the church without Christ. For there is no other foundation but He, as Paul testifies, no other foundation can be laid other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Calvin goes on to say this, and listen closely. 
Whoever then turns away from him, that is, turns away from Christ in the least degree, will find his foundation a precipice. My friend, you are either standing upon the foundation, the sure rock of your faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, all other ground is sinking sand, or all other ground you will find to be a precipice. It pleased God to make Christ the cornerstone of the church. There is no man, there is no pope, there is no priest, there is no pastor, there is no church, which is the foundation of the church. Only Jesus is the sole head of the church. Have you taken your feet off this firm foundation of Christ and placed them on sinking sand? My friend, that is a dangerous place to be. Jesus Christ is our precious cornerstone. The reason He is precious is He is our cornerstone. This cornerstone has been laid by God, but this cornerstone has also been chosen by God. We read that in verse 4. You have come to this living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Verse 6, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, chosen, precious. Christ is the only one suitable to be the cornerstone of Zion. Christ is the only one suitable to be the foundation upon which everything is built. Therefore, He was selected and chosen for that purpose. It was Christ that was chosen to be that sure foundation for His people, to be the head of the church and Savior of the body. He was chosen because He was superior in glory to angels and men. God did not choose an angel because none of them had the glory that the Son had. An angel was not chosen because none of them had the eternality of the Son. None of them had the ability of the Son. And no man was chosen because no man was sufficient. Every man and angel was found wanting. But when God chose to lay a cornerstone for Zion, to lay a sure foundation for the people of God, no better one could be chosen other than Jesus Christ. But thank God there was one that was eligible at the Father's right hand to be our cornerstone, the Lord Jesus. So we find this sure foundation. We find thirdly, everything rests upon Christ as the cornerstone. You see, a cornerstone is vital. A cornerstone is important. You see, you just can't get some rock uh, just out uh, from the ground somewhere and say, here's my cornerstone. No, this cornerstone must be strong because the entire weight of the structure rests upon this stone. Everything rests upon Christ as our cornerstone. He is big enough. He is large enough. He is grand enough. He is strong enough to build and to, and to sustain the edifice of His church. God's plan for His church rests upon Him. Our salvation rests upon Him. The church's doctrine rests upon Him. Our endurance rests upon Him. Our hope even rests upon Him. Everything rests upon Christ. Today He is precious because He is God's chosen foundation on which my and your faith rests. I wonder this morning, has your faith found a resting place today? Is it resting upon that foundation of Christ? Do you see Christ as the perfect foundation on which life is to be built? And if your faith is not in Christ's sure foundation, then you can be sure your foundation will be a precipice. 
that you will walk off and be surely and utterly destroyed. So we find this morning that Jesus, the reason He is precious is He is our cornerstone. But number two, the reason He is precious is because we are living stones that God uses to build a spiritual house. In verse 5, notice with me. Ye also as living stones or lively stones. Now I just want to stop there for a moment and you to consider that. The Bible says that you and I have come unto the living stone in verse 4. As now living stones. Think about it. You have come to the living stone and now you are a living stone. Christ is the foundation. God is the builder. We have come to the living stone, have been made living stones. Dr. MacArthur has rightly said this, as Christians we are so identified and united with Christ that the very life that exists in Christ exists in us. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me and the life which I now live is no longer I, but it is Christ that lives through me. Think about it, child of God. You have come as someone dead and trespasses and sins, and you have been drawn lovingly to the Savior, to this living stone, and been made a living stone. You are so identified and united with Christ. This is the teaching, is it not, of Romans 6, 7, and 8? You are so identified and united with Christ that the very life that exists in Christ now exists in you. Christ lives His life through you. You are dead, yet you live. It is Christ that lives through you. You are now the hands of Christ. You are now the mouth of Christ, the ears of Christ, the feet of Christ, the heart of Christ. It is not you or I that is building Zion, but rather it is the Lord. So you and I are gloriously united to Jesus Christ. This is why He is precious. Think about it this morning. You have been united and identified with Christ. So when God looks down upon you, He sees the perfect righteousness of His Son. The moment you placed your faith in Him, your sin were washed away and God imputed and placed inside of you, as it were, the very righteousness of His Son. The perfection that He demands for entrance into heaven is now in you through the working of His Son glorious truth. This is why He is precious. You and I have come to the living stone. We are now living stones. We are identified and one with Christ. And as these living stones, God is using us to build His spiritual house. This is what He says there in verse 5. Ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And let me just say this, it is not you or I that are building Zion. It is not you and I that are building the church, but rather it is the Lord. And we understand that, do we not? We can't build the church. It is God that builds the church. It is our Lord that builds the church. Did not Jesus say that in Mark, uh, Matthew 16? That I will build my church. The temple of God is, is building. It's not a physical, but rather a spiritual temple. You know, there's not going to... We can get into eschatology later. 
But my personal opinion, there's not going to be another structure in the Middle East, some temple that's going to be rebuilt. We are the temple of God. He's not building a physical temple. He's building a spiritual one that will cover the entirety of the earth, the knowledge of God covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. He is building His universal church, and He is placing stone upon stone upon stone, and He is integrating them one with another. He is building this church of Christ. He is placing the believers in their proper place and integrating individual believers with each other and each one with the life of Christ. Isn't it amazing? No matter where we find ourselves in the world and where God moves us, He always places the right people in our life at the right time. He always has a way of integrating us as living stones with other living stones at the right time and bringing us together and each experiencing the life of Christ. So the question is, as we look at our passage before us, we are living stones. We have come to this living stone. He is our cornerstone. He, and now we have been made living stones, and He is building up a spiritual house. The question we must ask is, how is He building this house? How does God build His church? How does He do that? Does He do that through programs? Has He commanded you and I to go into all the world and use programs? Has He commanded you and I to go into all the world and bring children's clubs to all the world? Has He commanded you and I to go into all the world and to bring the contemporary praise band into the world? What has He commanded you and I to do? Go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel to every creature. How does God build His church through the faithful preaching of Christ and Him crucified? This is how He's building His church. Many times we think, well, the church is just the building that we're in. My friend, this is not the church. This is where the church meets. You and I are the church. You know, we could put out on the sign, the, free Presby- the Covenant Free Presbyterian Church meets here. Why? Because that's what we are. We're the church, not this building. Now, I know that sometimes we use that term, well, I'm going to church. Well, we know what that means, but that's not really technically true. We're not going to a building that's a church. We're bringing the church to the church, as it were. We are the church. And He builds the church by the preaching of the gospel. And guess what? You and I can participate by being a voice for Christ. The next question I want to ask is, how successful will God be in building His church? You know, God said He would build His church, and He would use us as living stones to build up a spiritual house. Is God building a dilapidated house? Is God building a house that's just going to somehow deteriorate, and we're just getting worse and worse and worse, and the church of God is just going to just hang on until Jesus comes, and, and things are looking kind of gloomy, and, and you know, that's just the way it's going to be, and the world's going to hell in a handbasket, as it were, and we're just going to hold on. Is that the idea that Scripture portrays? Oh no, my friend. Jesus gave us a command. In Matthew chapter number 28, He said that we are to go. Go ye and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. And just prior to that, He said, All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Jesus has all the authority in heaven and all the authority upon earth to accomplish this plan to bring the gospel into all the world. 
Should we expect a horrendous failure? This is the teaching today from many pulpits. That things are just going to get worse. That there is no hope for the church in the future. That we're just hanging on until Jesus comes. My friend, that is not the teaching of the Scripture. The Scripture teaches us that we should be biblically optimistic. Let me explain that. Jesus taught that very clearly. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed planted in the ground. He said, and when it is planted in the ground, it becomes a tree. And it says, it fills the whole earth, and the birds of the air come and lodge in its branches. You know what that is? That's a picture to us of the growth and the expanse of the kingdom of God. You see, when Jesus began, He had 12 disciples. It was a very small seed. But whenever that seed fell into the ground and it died, the Lord Jesus Christ, it yielded much fruit. And you look at what happened from Acts chapter number 2. Some 3,000 believed. That was a marvelous thing. But my friend, you can go to practically every country on planet earth and find some believer there. Or you might not find a whole lot of churches, but I can, you can mark it down. You will find a believer virtually in every single country of this world. The gospel has covered the earth. It has expanded. It had gone west. It went east. It went north. It went south. God had a way of building His church. He said that the knowledge of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. He said in Psalm chapter number 72 that he said from one end of the river to the other end he will have dominion from rivers and seas. He also said not only that but he said that all kings will come down, all kings will bow before me. My friend that's going to take place. You want to see victory. The victory will come through preaching the gospel. He is building His church and He will subdue the hearts of kings and countries around this world by the faithful preaching of the gospel. He is building His church. You and I have come to this living stone. We are now living stones building the church. We, God is using us to build His church. But not only that we see we are a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So not only are we the church as it were, not only are we the building, but we are the priest. We're both the building and the priest. We are being built by God. God is building His church, but we also are priests. No longer a physical temple with temple priests and blood sacrifices. We now have the substance in Christ. We now... Uh, excuse me, he now is building a spiritual temple with spiritual priests and spiritual sacrifices. It seems foolish to me that once God has done away with all the old that we're going to expect it to arrive again one day in the future. Oh no. The blood of Jesus Christ has forever done away with those Old Testament rituals and sacrifices. We will never see those again. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient. And here... We read that we are a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. You are a priest today. Jesus Christ, through His mediating work upon the cross and through His sacrificial death, He has made access for you into the veil to enter boldly. You and I believe this morning in what is known as the doctrine of the priesthood of believers. We each have direct access to God through the finished work of Christ. You used to burden my heart where I lived in Maine. I lived in a very French area right near the Quebec border. 
And we had a lot of Roman Catholic folks in our area. And I remember it used to just break my heart how they, could, they thought they could not confess their sin. They needed to go to the priest to confess their sin so that he could get an answer from God on what they needed to do to get forgiveness for sin. But thank God you and I can go directly to Christ. We can go directly to Him as priests to confess our sin and to enter boldly. We don't need someone to do it for us. We can go ourselves into the direct presence of God. Does not matter how much money you have, what your social status is, how old or young you are, where you come from, you can enter into the direct presence of God. Doesn't even matter what language you speak. God understands all language. Come to Him and He will hear your prayers. And as we come to Him as priests, we offer up spiritual sacrifices. What are these spiritual sacrifices? They are works that please God, done because of Christ, and under the direction of the Spirit of God, and guidance from the Word of God. One of these spiritual sacrifices we read is in Hebrews 13, 15. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Amen. You know that sometimes it's a sacrifice to give a praise unto God. Sometimes we're discouraged and we're downtrodden. And it is a sacrifice of our pride, as it were, to give praise unto God. But the Bible says that we need to offer a spiritual sacrifice of praise unto God. One of the other ways we do a spiritual sacrifice is doing good. Hebrews 13, 16. Or sharing your goods with others. Hebrews 13, 16. So we understand this morning that He is precious because we enjoy the very life that exists in Christ in us. So this is one of the reasons He could say He is precious. He is precious because we enjoy the life of God in us, the life of God in the very soul of a man. That is what you and I experience today. He is precious because He is building His spiritual temple, the church. And you and I are a part of that. And it is not a church is going to die, and it's a church that's going to flourish and be triumphant and see every enemy trampled underneath its feet. You and I are part of a triumphant uh, uh, church marching forward like a mighty army moves the church of God, the hymn writer says. He is precious because we now have direct access to Him as believer priest. Dear believer, you have a great reason to cry out this morning, He is precious. If you don't cry out, He is precious, the rocks will cry out for you. You have a foundation that is unshakable. You have a Savior that is accessible. You have a church that is triumphal. And you're, you have a standing that is irreversible. You have every reason to cry out, He is precious. He has saved me. So we see, first of all, we see this morning the reason He is precious. But notice secondly, the results of believing that He is precious. So we see the reasons we should believe He is precious, but notice secondly the results of believing He is precious. Notice with me in our text again in 1 Peter 2, 7, Unto you therefore which believe He is precious. So notice that phrase, which believe. The, what are the results of believing He is precious? The question should be asked to our text, believe what? Uh, unto those which believe what? That he is precious. Unto you therefore which believe He is precious. Well, believe what? 
Well, I think in the direct context we have before us in verse number 16, an answer is given. Look with me at verse number 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. So believes what? You believe on him. The results of believing is precious. Believe what? You believe on him. And those who believe on him, number one, shall not be confounded. This is the result of believing that Jesus Christ is precious. You will not be confounded. Now what does that even mean? Our believing needs to be anchored, first of all, on Him. It needs to be resting on that sure cornerstone. Christ is the object of our believing. So I ask you today, is Christ the object of your faith today? Is He the one that you're resting on? Are you anchored upon this rock? The verse goes on to say that those that believe on Him shall not be confounded. Confounded, the original word carries the idea of not being, uh, does not disappoint. So in other words, he who believes on him will not be disappointed. You know, I have never met a believer who has been disappointed with Christ. I don't know about you. I've never been disappointed with him. He has every reason this morning to be disappointed with me. But I have no reason to be disappointed with him. I have no reason to be disappointed with him. Matthew Poole, the great Puritan, said uh, that this refers to shall not be disappointed of his expected salvation, and so shall have no cause to be ashamed of his hope. You and I are not disappointed of our expected salvation. We have no reason to be disappointed in that. We have been disappointed by many people, have we not? We can sit here this morning and share our sob stories of people that have let us down. People that have stabbed us in the back, we can share those stories. We can share even how we've been disappointed by situations that have arrived in our life. We can say how well, we have been disappointed because of a trial that has come our way and we don't understand. And the list could go on and on and on. But yet we can never say that we have ever been disappointed by that precious cornerstone. He is precious. He has never disappointed us. Believing on Him, you will not be disappointed in time or in eternity. You can mark it down. If you place your faith in Him, you will not be disappointed now. And I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed in eternity because you placed your faith upon Christ. So we find the results of believing that He is precious is you will not be disappointed. But number two, Look with me at verse number 7. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. Those who believe on him continue to believe. The phrase which believe is present active indicating that it is continually believing. So in other words unto you therefore which are believing he is precious. That's the idea. Each of these phrases are present active, even in verse number 6. He that is believing on him, continually believing, will not be confounded. And he that continually believes, he is precious. So salvation is not a one and done kind of deal. Meaning you do not trust Christ one time in your life and then move on to so-called bigger and greater things. 
We are called today to continue to believe the gospel from initial faith to final breath. So is your faith the one and con, one and done kind, or is it the persevering kind? What type of faith do you have today? Do you have a faith that perseveres like the believers here that Peter is writing to in the midst of great affliction and difficulty and great sorrow of heart that are enduring much tribulation and persecution, that believe God in the midst of greatest hostility and adversity? Or are you like those who as soon as tribulation arises, like Jesus talked about in one of his parables, by and by he is offended and he falls away. Here the Bible speaks about a continuing faith. Are you still believing since the moment of initial faith? Are you still believing in Jesus? The old country preacher Vance Hafner was right. He said, the faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. And that is so true. The faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. If your faith fizzles out and you cast away faith at the very end, it was faulty from the beginning. It was not real faith at all. Because those that place their faith in Christ that are truly converted, they will persevere. They will endure all the way to the end. My friend, you have cast your faith upon the solid rock. You have anchored your faith in Christ. He has washed away your sins, separated them. As far as the east is from the west, He has cast your sins, as it were, behind His back. He has imputed within you His very righteousness, and He has guaranteed you a home in heaven. My friend, what reason do you have to cast your back and to turn your back away from Him? You have none. He is precious to you. Is this the kind of faith that you have? If you believe Christ to be precious, you will not be disappointed, and you will have continued faith in Him. Unto you, therefore, which believe He is precious. We considered the reasons, we've considered the results, but I want you to notice, last of all, with me, the reality that He is precious. Look with me again in verse 7. Unto you, therefore, which believe He is precious. He is precious. You find this again in uh, chapter 1 and verse uh, number 6, I believe it is. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold. There's that word precious. It's found again in chapter 1, verse 19. You and I have been redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He is precious. This is a statement that reaches the heart, it bypasses the mind, and reaches the very heart of God's people. I want you to notice under the reality that He is precious, is this preciousness defined? Notice this is a declarative statement. It says, He is precious. This points to the actual being and existence of the fact or truth that He is precious. You may notice in your Bible that the phrase He is in his italics. Now I just don't want to assume anything uh, because assuming is never a good thing. 
But when you find in your Bible a word in italics, it means that it is not there in the original writing. So literally it would read this way, Unto you therefore which believe preciousness. Well, that's nice, but that's true, but it certainly implies uh, he is as implied in the light of the context. Who is it that is precious? Unto you therefore which believe preciousness. Well, who is it that's precious? precious? It is none but Christ. So what does Peter mean when he used that word precious? Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. The word precious speaks of something that is valuable. Something that is esteemed in the highest degree. It is Christ alone which is our most valuable and highest esteemed treasure. Remember I asked you when we first started, what is the most precious thing to you today? Your answer should be Christ. He is the most precious thing to me. He is my most esteemed, valuable, highest treasure. Listen, friend, they can take everything from you today. Just like Job, you could lose all the money you have today. You could lose your house today. You could lose your spouse today. You could lose all your children and all your friends, but no one can take from you the knowledge of Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. No one can take from you the preciousness of Christ, even in the midst of greatest trials. It is because of this we say He is precious. I want you to consider secondly with me under this, the preciousness explained. Well, what do we mean he is precious? Well, yes, he is valuable. He is to be esteemed in the highest degree. He is precious. But I like what Thayer said. Thayer was a, was a, a Greek scholar. In commenting on the use of this word in this particular verse, Thayer says this, that the word precious here means praise of which one is judged worthy. Or in other words, Thayer says you could word it this way, Unto you therefore which believe, Christ has been judged worthy of praise. And certainly He is. He is not only the most esteemed uh, and most uh, valuable thing and treasure that I have, but because of that He is esteemed and He is worthy of all praise. He has been judged worthy of all praise. If He can save my soul, if He has so, if God in Christ has so united me with Him that what He sees in me is His Son, and now I am a living stone being used to build the kingdom of God and only that but I am now a holy priest and now offering spiritual sacrifices unto God certainly he is worthy of all my praise because of the standing that I have in him so is Christ worthy of your praise today that it even should cause a Presbyterian to give out a silent amen unto the Lord. He is certainly worthy of our praise. In light of these blessings, He is eternally worthy of your praise. So will you praise Him today for the precious gifts He has given you? He has drawn you to Himself. Think about it. We are believers in the sovereign grace of God. We once were estranged from Him, destitute from godliness, destitute from any idea and desire for Christ, and then God came to us in our sin, and He said to us, Mine. 
He came to where you were. When we had no desire for Him, while we were yet unlovable, He loved us and gave Himself for us. And He drew us to Himself and He said, You are mine. Come away, my beloved, and come after me. And we heard a voice that we could not resist and we came unto Him and He drew us to His side and He ripped out a heart of, fle- a heart of stone and granted us the heart of flesh. He certainly is precious. He is precious. You ever looked at people around you? I know I've looked at people at work since I'm working a secular job again. And I look at people around me and I'm looking and I'm beginning to sense as I'm more in the world than what I used to be. And I'm looking at people, people in their 50s, people in their 60s that still cuss like sailors and talk about all the drinking and the partying and the immorality that they want to live in. And I look and I say, thank you, Lord that you have saved me and spared me from a life like that. That God, that you saved me. God, I don't know why you did, but you did. And even people that lived lives like that, God has reached down and saved. And many times we wonder, how come me, Lord, and not that one? It's not for you to understand. It's just for you to say, thank you, God, for saving a sinner like me. God, I am unworthy, but you are worthy. And God, you have made me worthy in your eyes. Will you praise him today for this precious gift of himself? He is precious. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious. So in conclusion, you have every reason in the world to say he is precious. He is precious because he has lovingly drew you to himself. He is precious because you are identified and united with Him so that the very life of Christ exists in you. Think about it. You are dead. Think about it. John is now dead. I am no longer alive. I died whenever I came to Christ. And it is now Christ that lives in me. God has given me a new name, the Bible says. You know me as John. I don't know what my new name is, but the book of Revelation says that those whom he has redeemed, he has given them a new name. Why? Because they are no longer what they once used to be. They've been plucked up from the mire. They are now in Christ. They are now new creatures in Christ with new names, with a new destination. And one day this old carnal flesh that we battle with one day, this will be redeemed as well when Jesus comes back. And he will take all our flesh that is deteriorated and has turned to dust. He will pack it all back together and create a glorified body and reunite us with our spirit and our soul. And we will forever worship the Lord. We have a reason to say today that he is precious. He is building his church and you are part of it. He is precious because you have direct access to God as a priest through the work of Christ. He is precious because all who believe in Him are not disappointed. Therefore, I say again, He is precious. So what trial are you going through today? Consider your precious standing, which you have in Christ, and that you are anchored on the very promises of God. You have every reason to say He is precious. But, but... If you cast away, look with me again, and and we're closing here at verse 4. To whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Disallowed has the idea of rejected. You and I have come to this living stone, but many others have rejected this stone. And today, if you cast away as worthless this cornerstone... 
If you do not regard him as precious, it will fall upon you in judgment. This is what Jesus said. Woe unto that one who does not come to this stone. And he says that the one that does not come to the stone, uh, if, you don't know, if you do not come to the stone, he will fall upon you and grind you to powder. What a dangerous place to be. So I invite you today, if you do not know Christ, if you have cast away this cornerstone as worthless and not precious, I urge you today to come to Christ. He is mighty to save. And if you look to Him, you too will find that He is infinitely valuable and precious. So, savor today and always the preciousness of Christ. So if you leave this place, be considering that Jesus Christ is is precious. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths of the Holy Scriptures. How we pray, Lord, that you would stamp these truths upon our heart and upon our minds. God, it is our desire today that we would truly say that he is precious. He is precious. And so, God, we thank you for everything that we have in him today. So God, as we now come around the table, would you allow us to remember the things that we have heard, to consider the preciousness of Christ and his person, his love, his mercy, his grace that has been lavished upon us. We ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.